Matthew 5. These, these are really, really, really familiar verses. Oh, and before I get into Matthew, as we're moving forward with some things at the church and, this, and some of the structural stuff that's happening, one of the things is Heather has overseen Sunday school slash nursery slash website slash her father <laughs> for 14 years. She's overseen Sunday school here. And she's really anxious to give that away. So I, I'm asking, you know, asking you to, con- you know, con- to consider uh, if sowing into the next generation, if seeing what we do with, from nursery on through Sunday school, if you see that as a very important part in discipling, then I would ask you to consider um, getting involved in our whole Sunday school nursery program. We've got great teachers who do a great job week after week after week. But we do need someone that can function as the administrator over that. Um, And so just pray about that. And we would love to have you on board if that's what might be stirring in your heart. I, I don't know if there was ever a time that our children needed the word of God spoken into their hearts. It's now. You know, when I, when I was growing up, which was three, four days after dirt was created, <laughs> um, you know, when I, when I think back, like Sunday school and that whole thing was flannel graphs, Kool-Aid, and ginger snap cookies. It was. It was solid. I was. We were. We were well taken care of. And I, you know, it, each generation has to deal with the stuff that they have to deal with as they come along. The, wor- the world has, in one sense, has always been hostile, and in another sense, has always been amazing. And each generation has to figure that out. And how do we walk in that? How do we move in that? All those things. But for me, if there was ever a time it seems, where sowing into our children, sowing the word of God into our children, sowing the power of the Holy Spirit into our children, the gifts of the Spirit into our children, it's now. And these are really, this is a really important gift that you're giving into the next generation. From my perspective, all of you that teach and, and do what you do through the other rooms of the church and with our youth and anything that's like youth driven from my perspective is actually far more important in the life of the church than what I'm doing standing here. So I just, I value you. I thank you. I honor you. And I, I think we're, it's just, we need to keep this, keep the fire moving in the hearts of our kids. Okay. Matthew 5, verse 3. 
Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Happy are the merciful, for they receive mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before me. This is real familiar. I think I even got this one on flannel graph. <laughs> and I, this morning, I just kind of, when I woke, I was kind of meditating through things. I felt like today, with, especially with election being on Tuesday, that there, there's the church... If we're going to be the body of Christ, if we're going to be the imagers of God, if we're going to be true to the vocation that we were put on the earth to do, it requires us to be able to step back from the, the voices that, that are all over the place around us, all clamoring to be recognized as the right voice, the best voice, uh, the, the, you know, what, whatever you want to put there, but the, you know, it's just, it's fascinating to me what the, the climate that we live in right now. It's like in the past elections, and this is, this is not a political, I'm not planning this morning to be political, but these are just some observations. In the last election cycles that go from, um, from uh, George Bush, the son, to the present election, I think, I'm, I'm pulling this from my head, so it may, some of it may not be exactly right, but the electorate of the United States, everything, most people have their minds all made up except for we're, we're, we're arguing over about 5% of the, pop, of the voting population of the country. You know, well, the polls are tightening. Well, the polls are tightening. Right. So we're, we're talking 49-51. I mean, it's like it's ridiculously close at how split the country is. What amazes me, though, is over that, if it's 5%, whatever it is, we are spending in advertising a gazillion dollars. And I, I, the other day, I'm like, who are we actually spending it on? Because the people that have their minds made up, I'm not going to change my mind because you come up with a new snazzy commercial. You know, I've made up my mind. But you're going to spend millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. I mean, just in one, in one area, yesterday, they released $20 million for last-minute advertising. 
And the media, which is not the media anymore, but the media, all that money flows into them. So they don't really give a rip who wins the presidency. All they're interested in is keeping the argument going because that keeps the money coming in. So I don't get it. I really don't. I think it's, I think it's France. In all their political cycles, no politician can begin to, to do any advertising until four months before the election. And all advertising has to stop one month before the election. I kind of like that. It's like finally somebody said, shut up. <laughs> you know, they honestly don't want us to have time to think through the issues and arrive at sound decisions. They want to keep us running on fear and making rash decisions that they've already programmed us to make. Which, by the way, if you've not seen it yet, please watch Social Dilemma. I'm, I'm thinking about actually showing it here at the church. If you've not seen it, you need to see it. It's, you can get it on Netflix if you have anybody's account that you can hack to watch it. <laughs> Just speaking from experience. Okay, enough of all that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or happy are the poor in spirit. And it's interesting, I, this, this verse, at various times when I've thought about it, I'm like, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Like, is, Jesus says that that's actually a good thing. But to me, to, to go, oh man, I'm just poor in spirit. It sounds like I'm washed out. I'm defeated. I'm, I have no life left in me. I have no gusto left or whatever, you know, whatever it is that I, I'm because I'm, I'm just poor in spirit. I'm just poor in spirit. And yet Jesus is saying, no, you're happy. Be happy when you're poor in spirit. So what's he actually saying and what does it mean to be poor in spirit? It's interesting because the word poor in the Greek actually uh, refers to um, being free from the feeling of fate or death. So blessed, happy are you when you're free from being controlled by fate or death. It, it, it brings with it this idea that that in Christ, I'm happy because I'm no longer under the influence of fate or chance, but I'm governed by the all-wise providence of Yahweh. And when I saw that, I'm like, I want to be more poor in spirit. <laughs> I don't think I'm poor enough yet. Because sometimes I can be hooked by fate. The feeling of fate. I can, I, I don't, 
I know you guys wouldn't have experienced this, but one of the things that that I, I'll that'll happen every now and then for me is like things will really be clicking along good, and I'm looking over my shoulder instead of just rejoicing in good. And I can say there's been times where I sabotaged myself and brought the, the, the problem in because I was expecting it anyway. And, and I, I, can, I can clearly look at times and say, man, I did that one all on my own. But happy is the person that's free from this feeling of fate and lives in the providence of God. Now, I've talked about this before, but you remember providence as opposed to sovereignty. So there are those that would say, well, you know, God's in control. I would challenge us with that. The scripture does not say that God is in control. I mean, um, yes, that God is in control. What, what God has done is he's delegated dominion to us. And God is in charge from the standpoint that he is the sovereign and he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But even in that, he's chosen to limit himself to how he's going to go about that. So in, in him expressing himself to us in love, if it's, if it's done through control, it's not love. It's control. The word providence brings with it this idea that, that if, if we live in the providence of God, then we're living with this idea or from this perspective that God's intent is always preparing steps that take me into righteousness and goodness. He's already prepared. You know, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. So God isn't controlling me, um, you know, kind of like put his hand on my head and then he steers me through life. So I'm just kind of walking wherever he wants me to walk. He's not controlling me that way. But what he is doing is preparing my path so that as I walk into it, I'm stepping into his providence and his providence is intending good for me and intending to bring me closer to himself and to conform me to his image and his righteousness. So then I'm happy because for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, he doesn't say happy are the poor in spirit because they get to go to heaven. This isn't a go to heaven verse. This is a heaven coming to us first. This is when I'm transformed, when I realize that I'm actually poor in spirit, that I'm free from, from these feelings of fate, when I'm free from these places where I, I, I feel like other elements are controlling me. And I, I mean, if we've ever lived in a season where it's easy to feel that way right now, it, it's easy to feel that way. I mean, I, there's stuff around me that I don't even see that's controlling me. 
that can trip me up at any given moment. That, that can, you know, all those things. You know, the, the whole political thing. There's just a lot of things that all start coming in where we feel like, man, I, 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 don't, I don't even have a voice. I can't even, you know, what, what can I say? Everything, everything that's happening around me, I just have no control of it. Now, at a natural level, that actually is true in a, in a lot of ways. You know, I, I, standing here, Milford, Delaware, I can't control anything that goes on in Washington. Even if the person I voted for wins and goes to Washington, I have absolutely no control over what that individual is going to do. So we can, that feeling can start to come in. But what Jesus is saying is, and, and this, you know, let's take the context. Jesus is talking to a, a bunch of people who are under, under the rule and the control of the Roman government. And if they don't like you, they kill you. You're not a, you're not a Roman citizen. You're a conquered person, which means you only, you're only breathing because we're letting you breathe. And we want to take that from you, we'll take it from you like that. So this was not, oh, happy days. You know, and Jesus is just chatting it up with them on the side of the mountain. I mean, these people all knew the difficulties they lived under, and yet Jesus said... Happier are you when you're free from the sense of fate and you know that you live under the providence of your heavenly father. I mean, a lot of the songs that we sang this morning, we're talking just about that, what that's like. There's, um, I, I haven't read the books I'm, I'm, I don't know a whole lot about this, but I'm going to get the book. Um, but the writer is dealing, is writing from the standpoint that um, in Western culture, we have gotten to the point where being, um, being happy and fulfilled, having that sense of happiness and that sense of fulfillment, that those are the two driving um, feelings that society is moving, is wanting and is fighting over getting. So ultimately, if you get in the way of my happiness, you're expendable. If you get in the way of my fulfillment, you're expendable. And so anytime that I feel not at ease, where I feel uncomfortable, where I feel pressure, where I feel pain, then that's, that's um, I'm going to always try to move away from that and get free from that. And um, in talking with some the other day, one of the problems with that is... Um, We've brought that in to our theology. And in a lot of ways, those of us that have grown up 
in a word of faith background. One of the things that we would do in that, in that line of thinking was, of course, anything that is either, that anything that's affecting me negatively at all, one, it's of the devil. Two, if it's of the devil, it's got to go. And all I have to do is have enough faith to move it out of the way. You know, and so the problem with that is life doesn't really work that way, or at least not on the side of the town I live on. Life is always bringing in our direction things that make us uncomfortable. If I'm actually going to love, love itself can be a very uncomfortable thing. Because it means I'm going to serve someone else when maybe I prefer not to. But in love, I serve them anyway. So when we're, when we're at this place where I'm trying to always bring myself to the place where there's no conflict, there's absolute peace in my life, there's all these things around me, that, oh, this is, just, this is just the good life, it's the good life. I'm not really functioning as a human being. I'm not sure what label you would put on it. But I'm not really functioning as, as a human being was, was supposed to function. I have to deal with pain. You're going to have to deal with pain. I'm going to have to deal with loss. You're going to have to deal with loss. We're going to have to deal with mourning. Because you, 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 you only have two choices. Either, and Lisa, I'm going to pull from you from something I saw that you posted where the Lord said to you, just face it. And that was very liberating for you when he told you, and you were looking at yourself, and he's just like, face it, face it. I'm going to have to, eat, I either have to face it, or I hide from it. And if I hide from it, I've now brought myself back to fate because I'm not addressing it. So if I'm not addressing it, whatever's going to happen, it's just, it's just going to happen. Yeah. But if I'm, if I'm willing to face it, if i happy as the person that sees themselves free from fate, well, if I'm free from fate and I now live in the providence of my heavenly father, I can face every situation straight on. It doesn't mean it's not going to be difficult. It doesn't mean it's not going to have pain. It doesn't mean it's going to, I'm going to be free from uncomfortableness. It doesn't mean I'm going to have to do some things that I would prefer not to do. Yet probably most of us would admit the reason I get in the jam I'm in is because I didn't do what I should have done. You know, I, I, it's just, well, God's just going to, he's just going to do it. So I'm just going to stay in bed today. God, you got it. Yeah, yeah. Just lock the door on your way out. You know, or, but instead God's like, no, no. <laughs> Face it. 
Because if you face it, when, what, what, do we, what do we discover when we face it? We discover him. And we discover, as Mike said at the, at the end of worship today, we discover those moments where all of a sudden I realize he's right here. He's right here. One of the, one of the problems I, I am discovering is with a young believer, the, um, the snare that a young believer can get caught with is they haven't been with the Lord long enough to really know the scriptures yet. So the scriptures aren't, you know, that resource to just pull from the word isn't there. So I'm learning that. I haven't had experiences with God, so I don't really understand his faithfulness. I, you know, there's a lot of things in my immaturity as a young believer I'm missing. So the snare is I can get off kilter really easy and, and, get, and get brought into you know, a, a tough situation. But the snare, and this is what I've been looking at, the snare of a mature believer is that we know how to do it without God. And so we find ourselves in situations where, you know, all of a sudden there's a major catastrophe in our life of some, some magnitude you know, whatever it is. And I'm brought to that place where I can't do it without him. And again, like was said in worship today, the amazing thing is when that realization comes, he's standing right there. Even though I haven't invested in our relationship for quite a while, the minute I realize I'm deficient in my relationship with him, he's standing right there. He didn't go anywhere. He was there the whole time. But if, if we love, and he loves, then he's giving me that free will to minimize him or sideline him because I know how to do it. I, I can talk the talk. I can quote the scriptures. I can pray the prayers. I can speak in tongues. But to have that moment that to, to live in that place where I'm poor of spirit, I've moved beyond that because I just know how to do this whole religious thing. And all along, Yahweh is like, I really didn't ransom you for you to be religious. It's really not my plan. What I want is a relationship with you. as a son, as a daughter. 
where we talk a lot because I like talking to you. But I love you enough if you don't want to talk to me. Okay. But I'm not leaving because I love you too much for that. And what I will do is take the situations that you're going through and I'll walk with you with those, through those situations and I'll mature you as a human being in those situations. And when you come out the other side, you're going to understand things of my glory that you never saw going in. You just didn't see it. You know, grace is that place where it, um, if, if we were brought up in a, from a, in a church situation where grace was generally used in the terms of salvation, then what we saw was grace, I'm, I'm this horrible individual, this dirty, rotten, filthy rag. And God comes and his grace, he touches me and now I get to go to heaven. So grace covers all the rottenness in me and gets me to heaven. That's really not biblical grace. Grace is what empowers me to step into righteousness and be all I was created to be, to be his imager. That's what grace does. Grace, grace is not something that deals with the negative. Grace is the power of the positive. It's the power for me to come into my identity. It's the power for me to come into my potential. It's that place where I can walk into a situation and know I am poor of spirit, and yet grace abounds. And his presence abounds. And now all of a sudden I find myself doing things I know I am not capable of doing this on my own. And yet this grace is at work bringing me to life, putting life in me. So happy are those that mourn because they're going to be comforted. I'm just saying, you can't get... you, you. Jesus never said, all you who don't want pain, come to me and receive rest. He is not the eternal happy pill that we all take and life is just perfect. No, he said, listen, happy are you when you mourn. Well, if he said that, what does that in, in indicate? People are mourning. You're going to mourn. Mourning isn't always just mourning at the death of a person. We mourn a lot of things. Probably right now, our country is in a high state of mourning, if we could somehow quantify that. Probably most of us in this room have gone through phases of mourning since March. I know I have. I mean some really deep and dark places. 
I mean, for me, it was in early June. It like hit me like a, like a steamroller for about three weeks. It was deep morning. I mean, it was crying. It was not sleeping. It was feeling this tension that just wraps itself around your heart and won't let go. It was that place when you would hear things said that would just trigger pain, emotional pain. Happier are you when you mourn because you're going to be comforted. But the, the way the comfort comes is I face it. If I'm going to mourn, then mourn well. Face it. Experience it. Feel it. Don't be trying to get out from underneath of it. It will end. Mourning has a season. But if you really want to step through the season of mourning, face it, and you'll get through it healthier, and you'll get through it faster, and the residual won't have the impact on you that it does if you ignore it and just wait for it to subside. Because there are things in mourning that force us to face ourselves. And if I'm going to go through the morning, I want to face myself. I want to see what's there because if I don't see it, it's forever going to be there blindsiding me. Because ultimately, with a lot of things that we fear in our lives, it's facing it It's getting free from it. And then when it tries to come back, because it will, when it comes back, you can just look at it and go, oh, you again? Sorry, I just don't really have time for you today. And you just move on. Happy are the meek, for they're going to inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness. When I'm meek, it just means I know how to rest in the providence of my father. I don't, you know, if any of you that grew up on on a farm, you know that one of the things that roosters will do when they're all wanting to fight, you know, the first thing they do is, (laughs) you know, and you watch this banny chicken that's about that big, become that big and they're all strutting around and they're, you know, they're doing their thing. I don't have to do that in the kingdom. I don't have to come into the situation and use anger or use force or use other things to manipulate and control a situation. I can walk into the situation meek knowing my father has this. He's got it. I don't have to have all the answers in the room. I don't have to be the wisest person in the room. I don't even have to be the one that's talking in the room. But I can come in with a presence that's being fueled by the providence of God. So I can change an atmosphere. So the meek do inherit, can inherit, should inherit the earth. 
And where do we inherit the earth? We inherit the earth in the spheres of place of influence that God's given us. So I can come in and I can be meek, and yet I can inherit right there. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. In some circles, it seems like righteousness has kind of fallen out of um, favor. We don't talk about righteousness. But righteousness is still part of the kingdom. God actually is concerned about righteousness because he knows the effects of unrighteousness. If I'm going to be an imager of Christ, I do need to position myself to a place where I hunger and thirst for righteousness. I was talking to someone yesterday on the phone they were saying how um, they, before they became a believer, there was a lot of anger that was there. There was a lot of things that was happening in their life. After they became a believer, one of the first things they said was, God, I can't do this without you because this is how I react. And they said, in a short period of time, God just came in, in his providence, and gave them a new heart in that that area. And they saw it change. I don't think we should ever get to the place where, on some regular basis, we're not saying, Holy Spirit, search my heart. What's there? We pick up clutter. I don't do it intentionally necessarily, but I hear things. I get, you know, I get a certain uh, line of thinking going in my head, and I might start acting that on that, or you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's just that place of going, Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. Search my heart, and if you find anything there, please show me. And if you'll show me. I'll face it. I won't step away going, well, you know, I've just kind of always done that. Or, you know, well, I don't see why you want to talk to me about it in my life because we all know Bob does it. (laughs) I'm not going to deflect it. I'm just going to stand there in his light, in his love, and say, search my heart. And whatever you show me, I'll face it, and I'll deal with it. (laughs) Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. It feels like at least mercy's in short supply in the world right now. We need more people showing mercy. I need to show mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Again, if I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness, 
if I'm asking Holy Spirit in, then the pure heart that I, that I get from that, it gives me the ability to see God. When my heart is impure, I am going to live in some realm of idolatry on a regular basis. I will be creating a different God. But when my heart's pure, the God I worship is not some God I've created, but is Yahweh himself. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, this is not a going to heaven verse. It's heaven coming to earth verse. When you find yourself, because you're taking a righteous stand, being persecuted for that, rejoice. Because heaven is near. It's in you. The kingdom is there. When I jumped over the peacemakers. Happy are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the sons of God. If ever we needed more peacemakers on the front lines, it's today. It causes me to think how many of us love to, ha- to hold the title I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God. But in claiming the title, we're anything but peacemakers. If I'm going to claim the title, I should be doing this stuff. Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. It does not say, happy are you when you revile others and persecute them and utter all kinds of evil against them falsely. Say la. <laughs> so, Jesus was giving us this. You know, there's there's much more in the Beatitudes, but it just this is what was stirring in my heart this morning. But mainly, I, for me, it's like I I want to be at this place where I realize, and not realize in my head, but realize in my heart that I live from and live through the providence of God. And if we sing, he's a good father, and we mean what we say, then the providence that I'm living from should be full of righteousness, peace, and joy. Regardless of what I'm dealing with, in the moment. So, contrary to what I used to believe, um, the absence of problems doesn't necessarily indicate the presence of God. 
And the presence of problems doesn't indicate the absence of God. I need to position my heart towards my Heavenly Father each day saying, there was some song that went around a while back, but I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I don't want to talk at God instead of talking with him. Because he never talks at us. He'll either talk with us or he'll be silent, but he won't talk at us because he values you too much. Okay, that's it. That's it. Father, we thank you. I thank you, God, that for this deep love that you have for us. There isn't one of us in this room that have come close to comprehending what it means to be loved by you. And I thank you, God, that you continually draw us to yourself. You are for us. That your grace is abounding towards us. That it's your design and desire that we image you on the earth well so that the earth can know, the world can know, humanity can know that you are a good God and that you are bringing all the kingdoms of this world into your kingdom. And you are loving people wherever they are. Meeting them, speaking to them, gracing them. And that your design is to use us to do that on a regular basis. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Amen. Amen. Offering plates are in the back. You're welcome to utilize those on your way out. If you've got you know, anything you've got in your pockets that's heavy, just feel free to leave it in the plate, and we'll take care of it. For those that are giving online, we really appreciate that. That's your faithfulness there has just been wonderful. If you've not had communion yet, please share communion on your way out. And if you need prayer for anything, then please come up and receive prayer. Other than that, adios, sayonara, goodbye, go home.